Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Boardroom Buddies podcast. Each podcast is themed and I interview and ask questions from a specialist who's also the owner of a small business, just like us. If you're a business owner of a micro business, then I hope that this sparks your thinking, answers some questions that you may have, and that you get some tips on the subject that helps you move your business forwards. I do hope that you enjoy the podcast. I very much enjoyed recording it. Hello, and welcome to this week's podcast with Boardroom Buddies. And we're all business owners. So have you considered when you are working maybe outside of your office or even in your office, the kind of threats that might be there for you from an IT perspective? And what you might do, and maybe there's some practical things that you can do to help you to overcome them or avoid them, of course. So this week's podcast is all about your IT and more importantly, looking at your IT security. Now, for most of us who kind of run our businesses, we're on the internet and everything, we kind of know how to use it, but we don't know how it works. A bit like the car thing. We drive the car, but we don't know how the engine works. So this week, I'm delighted to be joined by Robin Tinsley of Tinsley Net. And I'm going to ask Robin about himself and about his business. And then we'll get into some nitty gritty questions about what is hacking and what do we need to be aware of as business owners? Uh, And maybe that's different if you're working outside of your office in, I don't know, maybe a a cafe restaurant type of situation. Because often we do that, don't we? We might go to Costa and do some work on our laptops or phones or whatever. Uh, So we're going to kind of have a chat about that and hopefully this will answer some of the questions you have about IT security and how you protect yourself. So Robin, welcome and thank you for joining me on the Boardroom Buddies podcast. Thank you Jackie, welcome to me. So tell us about yourself then Robin. So I'm Robin, I run Tinsnet IT and I've been running this business since 2014, I believe. That's been a long time, that's for certain. Uh, I've been working in IT generally since 1995, which is even more scary. And uh, and I kind of uh, fell into IT by when I was at school and left and went to college and university. I was aiming to become a graphic designer, artist, which is what I wanted to do. But at college, I was kind of left in charge of their IT network, literally because nobody else knew how to run a network or how the computers worked. Oh, wow. Um, So that's what I started doing. And that progressed kind of through various jobs with the the council in education through some private businesses. I was unfortunately made redundant when a business that I was working for was taken over by another company, but that gave me the opportunity to start up on my own. Uh, which I did, and kind of haven't looked back. So, yeah, that's that's how I've got to where I am today. Um, yeah. So, in 20, 2019, I decided I needed a little bit of more of a challenge in my life because it obviously wasn't busy enough. So <laughs> I, I enlisted with the RAF, and I'm also a cyber security specialist for them. So, getting to Yeah. 
and I don't, and we can't ask you about that. <laughs> some of it you can, some of it you can't. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what do you do outside of work? But so outside work, we've got um, a raff and you know, working. Yeah, what, I, what else do you do? It, it does feel like I'm trying to fill up all my hours in in the week outside of work. So I'm married. I've got two children. Both of them have left home now, which is why I do have so much free time. I'm a keen runner. I uh, help run a local running club. That's doing quite well at the moment. And I'm on the board of trustees with Access to Business, who won the, the Queen's Volunteer Award last year. And I'm also on the committee for Local Community Hub, which also won the award. So I'm a double award winner for that one. <laughs> um, and besides, that kind of takes up all my time. So yeah, yeah the, the, the rest of the time I spend... Yeah, reading and uh, yeah and and I know you through access to business because we're both on the that's right. the board of trustees and I know mm-hmm. that you also do a lot of you know kind of help in the background with them and their IT stuff because it's challenging yeah, um, in Northampton <laughs> yeah it is and also the nature of access to business obviously they're a, a charity sort of basis so T needs are very different to a, a traditional business because it's there's a lot of changing uh, focus on where information is coming from and going to and also just the nature of the the way that have to store information so it's always a little bit more challenging when you're working with uh, a charity and there's another charity that I work with helping their writing and they have similar sort of sort of issues to face yeah. regarding how information it's usually about how information is stored and compliance with regulations like GDPR because they're obviously quite a big impact on on charities yes yeah yeah okay so if you're the owner of a micro business you probably have set yourself up you you'll have linked your laptop or tablet and your phone to your broadband in the house yeah jobs are good and I know from my own IT that like there's firewalls and security and stuff like that. So, so tell us about some of the basics that you need. So, working from home, micro businesses. If you're working out of your home premises, there's it is tempting just to plug it in, use the Wi-Fi router that is being provided by your internet service provider, your ISP. So that might be BT or Virgin. You know, they they'll provide you a, a router. You plug that in, turn the Wi-Fi on, and yeah. and you go. And in fairness, nowadays, the bigger uh, companies like BT and Virgin and Sky, the routers that they send out do have a lot more security built into them. But they are all usually set at a default level. So there'll be things like lots of technical jargon coming up in. I'll try and explain it. So there'll be things like a stateful packet inspection, which is that (laughs) the router will just have a quick kind of look at the information as it goes through, make sure there's nothing too suspicious going on. And if there is something too suspicious, try and block it. But it is very lightweight. It is kind of think of it rather than a um, a, a guard standing at the door, making sure whoever comes into the club is bona fide. It's more like an open door, really. It's just allowing anything to come in and out. So you do need to be aware that, you know, there's not too much security stopping things coming in. But in some ways that's good because you do need stuff to come in you need the internet to come in you need your um your your voip calls to come in um but you don't want to obviously allow uh malicious actors to come in Mm. let's put it that way so 
so that so that's the first port uh the second thing is when you the inside the local area network as we would call it the LAN area of the of your home connection is usually wi-fi not many people plug cables into the back of the wi-fi router now uh, and generally people will switch on it'll be supplied with a password which sometimes is just the mac address which is like a serial number of the wi-fi yes. adapter yes or like a short random generated password and they'll switch it on and that'll say forever because it's on it's printed on the little card which yeah. comes with the router yeah and it's easier just to leave it at that which is fine but they're usually quite short strings of characters so they're not too difficult for a computer to brute force guess those which is yeah. a computer program that generally will just fire loads of guesses at the firewall at the, the access point It'll right. just try and guess the password. And, you know, there's only so many combinations it needs to go through before it gets the right one. So, so just... Short, yeah, sorry, short. You say a short code. What When you're talking about characters, do, is that like six or eight or whatever? Because I know that our code is something like 16 digits. Yeah, so, so once you get past sort of six digits, then it's starting to make it... a more time consuming oh, okay. for the computer for a computer to uh try and oh. guess what the password is um if it's the mac address so you'll know that because it'll just have the letters a to e will be in there mm. and numbers and it's usually in in two pairs they go in if it's a mac address then that's a lot more easier to guess because actually you can query what the mac address is just by sending a, a request a computerized request to yeah. the router and it'll respond to tell you what the mac address is and then you can just try combinations of that right. so um, generally it's a good idea to change the default passwords and make a note of what they are okay and also throughout this and throughout the world you'll hear people say passwords don't think of them as passwords think of past phrases or past codes because uh -huh. it shouldn't be a word if it's a word that appears in a dictionary it's going to take less than a minute for a decent computer to break that Oh, that's scary, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So if someone is trying to get into your, I'll call it a system, but, you know, through the, through your, using your broadband into your laptop, what kind of risks have you got that, you know, so what kind of information is it going to be able to get? This, it depends on what the type of uh, attack coming in is. I mean, to be honest, home based users micro businesses they're less likely to be attacked because in order to do that it needs to be targeted usually yeah. which means somebody needs to be specifically picking on you and that's not usually the case with micro businesses mm -hmm. they either need to know where you're connecting from or how you're connecting or they need to be within range of your wi-fi in order to you know connect over the wi-fi Yes. So generally, those sort of attacks aren't going to happen if it's going to, if it's a micro business and the attacks coming in from the internet side of things. It's usually going to be because of malware that's been installed on a computer, okay. and that's that sent a command that sent a instruction back to a server somewhere else in the world, and said, "I've infected this computer. This is the connection you need to get to me. Come and you know." come and connect right. to me and, and access what you want in which case in those sort of situations you've probably heard the term ransomware 
generally what will happen in those cases is that the malware that's already infected the computer will then start to encrypt data on that computer. It's a lot more sophisticated now in that it'll search for specific types of data. So documents, Excel sheets, PowerPoint, stuff like that. Encrypt those so that the computer still works, but you can't get to any of your information. And then it'll hold you to ransom and you have to end, you have to pay a ransom in order to get the, hopefully get the key back to decrypt those. So that's a sort of external mm. access threat that mm. a small business is likely to face. Yeah. Um, if it's somebody who's specifically picking on a business, who's specifically targeting a, a business or an individual, um, then generally they're going to know a little bit about that business or individual already. Mm-hmm. They've yeah. done a process um, to identify trends. It's called social engineering. So they'll have looked at the individuals and start to build up a picture of that person. And that allows them to sort of guess better, have a better guess at what passwords might be, what information might be available. And at the end of the day, the criminals are all after financial gain. And that's the information that they'll be after. So by that, I don't mean your banking details. By that, I mean any information that they can get from your computer that you need to pay a ransom to get back. So that's that's what they're Okay, interesting. Yeah. So if you if you have information, you know, documents that are quite critical, is it useful to store them on an external drive so that should you get that? ransomware issue presumably you can just delete and wipe that but you've still got access somewhere else to your documents yeah so the sort of best workaround for a ransomware attack is having a reliable backup um, of your information so Mm -hmm. even if you keep the information on an external hard drive on a usb device uh, as soon as you plug that in then the ransomware is going to be sophisticated enough to realize that and then in, encrypt the information on that external device. The, so to get around it, you're going to need to be able to recover your information from a backup, which is separate from your home, your business setup, your home setup. Mm-hmm. So that's keeping information on a cloud, which is password protected and you know secured in that way. The ransomware generally nowadays, like I was saying, it's quite sophisticated. So what it'll do is infect a machine, but it'll work very hard not to let you know it's infected the machine until it's gone through the encryption process. So you might notice your machine's running a little bit slow, but you're not going to notice too many, you know, problems. Your screen's not going to start flashing or anything like that, because the whole idea of the ransomware is that it wants to work secretly in the background. Yes encrypt the information then let you know that it's done it because by that point it's too late even if you know mm. delete everything on your laptop you've still lost that information because it's encrypted yeah so yeah having a robust backup that you've actually tested works is is by far the best sort of recovery procedure from a ransomware attack obviously not getting the ransomware attack in the first place is uh, yeah. Yeah. the best thing to do but yeah. so how can you do that how, how do you kind of avoid that type of risk so ransomware generally that will come through either malicious software, which can be so most likely routes of uh, infection there are going to be through emails, phishing emails, which are asking you to download a security update from Microsoft or something like that. 
the sort of emails that you get where they say, oh, this is Microsoft. We've noticed that you've your computer's got some errors. We need you to download this software to fix it. Or going on to websites that are either fake versions of genuine websites or just not very trustworthy websites. It's probably fair to say a fact of life that a lot of people tend to sometimes go on websites where it's not entirely legitimate information that's on there and they, you know, people do it so that's where that's where people are going to put software which is going to infect your machine so so yeah it's a lot of that it comes down to the end user being a little bit aware of the risks and you know if they're exposing themselves to these risks you know mm-hmm. being very aware of that and and monitoring the situation afterwards yeah with the phishing emails they they certainly by far more popular and those will be things that'll that'll try and scare you into acting quickly so you don't have time to think and process the information Mm. and a typical one would be something like an email from amazon saying that your account has just been charged twenty thousand pounds something ridiculous and you've got to click here if if this wasn't you Uh, yeah well and don't do that they they won't send out those emails it'll be done through your amazon portal if they do likewise you might get an email from microsoft saying we've just noticed that you've got a virus on your computer and you need to download this patch Mm. microsoft don't know who you are they don't have any of your contact details so (laughs) you're not going to get an email from microsoft saying that you've got a virus on your machine um there there is a quite a good built-in antivirus software on most microsoft products windows defender and likewise with Apple products, and you can buy third-party ones to supplement them. So that that's sort of like the yeah the best way to to mitigate against those. Yeah, uh, a lot of the antivirus software nowadays does does have software which is a PUA. It's called potentially unwanted applications, and that will look through the software that you've got installed and look for things that might be risk mm-hmm. factors, and yeah. that's not necessarily looking for viruses. As such that's just looking for things that might open up your computer to right to allow somebody to upload something to it yeah yeah so when you're talking about the, this these different things that protect you different software and stuff like that is that something you can go and buy you know available on the internet or do, do we i know from my perspective i'd have to have the it person come and sort it out for me <laughs> yeah um so uh, I mean, certainly nowadays, if we look at Windows, which is the, you know, uh, most people you will use a Windows computer mm. for work, then that will come pre-installed. Part of the operating system is called Windows Defender. And that's quite a robust, quite a good antivirus software, but it is predominantly antivirus. It doesn't do anything else. It just protects mm. against viruses, virus code. And the way it does that is it, it, it downloads regularly a list of known signatures which is a a thumbprint if you like of a virus Mm. and it just looks for that running on your computer so as soon as the virus starts up it notices it running through the memory it notices particular signature and it'll identify it that way yeah and that's quite a good robust antivirus program you can buy third-party ones so some of the the more popular ones are things like sophos Yes. And Kaspersky, which is slightly dubious at the moment, maybe because of its Russian connections, but it's it's still quite a, a well-respected piece of yeah. software uh, yeah. in 
property security and, and things like that you know they, those will help supplement but they have added features in them such as the potentially unwanted application PUA software they might have risk assessment built in so this could be quite good for small businesses micro businesses because it'll look at information that you're sending out even in emails and if it sees something that it thinks is suspicious or risky such as if you're sending uh, a string of numbers that looks like a credit card number it'll stop it and flag it up and just say did you mean to send this information you know, are you sure you want to send this information mm. so things like that just add an extra level of, of protection yeah. to the way that your, your business operates yeah yeah because when you're you know when you're busy if you if there's no one else in your business you're all things you're doing the marketing, yeah. you're doing the accounts, you're doing the delivery of whatever it is you set your business up for, you're doing your paperwork, there's probably other pulls on your time as well. So you get this kind of message through on LinkedIn or a phone call or something on your phone. And I don't think you have, I think you're so stretched that you don't have time to actually think about it. Oh, I'll, I'll, yeah, get rid of that, get rid of that, because you want to do something else. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's kind of what a lot of these sort of attacks on smaller businesses are aiming for. So they're looking for people who are too busy with running the rest of their business to be yeah. able to sit down and think, is this genuine? Should I be doing this? So they're trying to put that pressure on. And that's one of the, for certainly like phishing emails, that's one of the key identifiers is that it's pressuring you to do something quickly. You might find that you get, you know, the same email come through over a four hour period you might get it five or six times mm. and each time it's like you, this is urgent you need to do this yeah. and it's almost you get to the point of right I'll just do it just to get it out of the way and done and move on with running the yeah. rest of the business yeah, yeah. that's what they're looking for so it must be real but, because they keep emailing me yeah you know exactly yeah and anything that's putting that sort of pressure on you kind of like with the rest of you running your business you know if you're being put under pressure to do something the first thing you really should be thinking of is what's the benefit of the person who's put me under pressure to do this? Yes. What, what are they getting out of this? Why am I being put under the pressure to, to make this decision? But, you know, we all know we're all in the same situation. We all know that's not always the case. And sometimes you just want to click it and move on with your life and, and do something mm -hmm. else. Yeah. So, so having that fallback of a reliable backup plan mm -hmm. that, you know, if everything goes wrong with mm -hmm. the computer, if it gets completely infected by viruses, yeah. that you can scrub that start again from scratch and you're not going to lose any information or not yeah. going to lose much information that is that's kind of like your safety net that's your yeah. fallback but but yeah being aware of these attacks and aware of the the, the pressure that you mean to put under is the first line of defense mm, yeah yeah do you think most of these threats come through email Certainly for small businesses, yes, that's the, the big the biggest type of effect of, of infection. So a lot of phishing emails, they take on different forms. So some of them will be trying to install software on your machine, right. uh, malicious software. There's a some of them will be trying to influence you to make some decision. There's been an increase and it's still quite a popular trend at the moment of emails which will try to intercept financial transactions. And this is especially targeted towards businesses who might make, you know, larger one-off financial transactions. 
what they'll do is they'll monitor so they'll have access to your emails and then monitor and look for this trend and they don't, you, you, you don't think there's a person there sitting there reading all your emails it's all done by a computer it'll just read through all your emails and it'll pick up on trends yeah. and if on the 28th of every month you pay such and such a business i know twenty thousand pounds for example then what they might do is send out an email on the 19th pretending to be that business and just say look we've changed bank this is our new bank account details yeah please make sure you update your records i've heard of that yeah yeah it, you've heard of it because it's quite a popular one and it works mm -hmm. and the problem there is that if you make that payment then kind of like you've chosen to make that payment if you yeah. know what i mean so it's the banks generally will be supportive but they will say you made this payment to somebody it's you know it's, it's very difficult <laughs> to recover from those and, so the, that's and the problem a scam, isn't it yeah so the problem with that is it's it is a scam there's no there's very little uh, sort of information you can go on because if the perpetrator has got access to your emails or the third party that you're paying if their emails or sometimes both of them then it's difficult to actually find out who the perpetrator was other than you've got this bank account that you just sent some information your money to mm -hmm. and it, it's quite a, a disruptive thing so if you receive emails like that, anything that's unusual never ever be afraid to contact the sender don't do you know reply on your email contact them by phone or by some other means that you know and just say did you send this email is this genuine mm, you know yeah again you know i know it's easy to say that and sometimes our lives are too busy to think that through but it's just having little things like that in your head and you just think, yeah. actually i'll stop and i'll just phone them and just say was this you that sent it just to double check mm, yeah. yeah can you can tell can't you from the url sometimes it's not yeah so this is there are two different types here so phishing emails of that type generally will spoof the sender's email address so they'll it'll look for all intents and purposes like it's come from the original person and unless you've got software which is looking for that which is like this sophos and, and kaspersky will help you out there it's difficult to spot them sometimes the another type of spoofing is where somebody will set up a domain which looks very similar to the organizer so one of the popular ones not long ago was amazon which everyone knows is amazon.co.uk so what they set up was a domain called amazon.delivery.co.uk which for you know just glancing at it you might think well it's a genuine email address it's got amazon it's got .co.uk the bit the, the fact that there's a dot delivery in the middle of it won't stand out to most people but that actually means it's a completely different website completely different domain yeah um and and that's where people can fall foul a lot of browsers now you'll notice if you use chrome or edge or thunder or whatever any other browsers will highlight in the address bar bits of the name and they'll yeah. highlight the bits to show who owns that domain so if you get an email that you do think is a little bit suspicious just copy and paste it into a browser and it'll show you which is the, the genuine bit of the domain and which is a bit that mm. doesn't mean anything really yeah, yeah. so yeah that's a spoofing and also people might set up spoofing uh, emails with domains which just look similar so there might be an o instead of a zero or a one instead of an l and things like that and that's where you've just got to be a little bit more aware of how a, how a domain should look what a domain yeah. name should look like yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah. And the other thing is within the body of the email, if there are links, and you know links are usually highlighted in blue, sometimes yes. they're underlined. Before you click on the link, even if it says in the link HTTP colon backslash backslash tinsleynet.co.uk, just because it says that in the string of text doesn't necessarily mean that's where that link is going to. So just hover your mouse over that link mm. and you'll see a little pop-up here underneath the mouse and that'll show you where it's actually going to. So if the two match, then yeah. you know it's fine. If the two don't match, then doesn't mean it's wrong it just means be a bit suspicious mm. and the reason i say it doesn't mean it's wrong is because some companies will use a soft process called url shortening yes and that's yes. where you get addresses like bit.ly backslash and then just some random letters and that's a way of them getting a very long url mm. and making it very short which is easy for people to remember and see so that can confuse things a little bit. But there, again, there are ways you can check those shortened URLs out. There's software called, I think it's called BitExpand. And you type in the shortened address and it'll expand it for you and show you where it's actually going to. Oh, so you can check where those links are. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. I know we're running out of time, but I did want to talk about fake news and videos and things like that. We mentioned it before when we were chatting. And I just yeah. think it's really important for people. Yeah, it's something to be aware of. And it's certainly going to be an increasing threat because, I mean, most people have heard of AI now, artificial intelligence. It's probably the wrong term. It's actually just deep learning. Things like ChatGPT, yes. which mimic the responses of actual people. And there's lots of quite freely accessible software now, which can take a small amount of information, so video information, picture information, and generate quite a realistic looking avatar from that so they can clone you and then have that person, have that clone speak with a voice which sounds very much like yours and they yeah. can have it say whatever they want. A lot of people probably will have heard Martin Lewis, Money Saving Expert, he's yeah. had this happen to him a few times where he's apparently appeared in adverts which he never appeared in, saying things which he would never say. Mm. and yeah this is something that that you do need to be aware of so anywhere where you're posting images of yourself and video content of yourself then that information could be harvested it's quite new technology both for the perpetrators the attackers and for us so it, you know there's a lot of learning still going on but it is something to be aware of that and i suppose the the, the key thing here is when you're watching some information or some content just be aware that it could be to some level deep faked it could be uh you know a, a fake representation of this person um yeah. and i suppose content providers generally will have a certain style and if they're suddenly going completely off piste and saying the opposite to what they've said all along yeah maybe it's you know you just need to think is this genuine uh, mm. and just do some you know due diligence on that and double check that it is actually yeah. coming from where they say it's coming from. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier on when we were chatting before we started about using watermarking on your video. Can you explain a bit about that? Yeah. So that's just a way of sort of adding a little bit of protection to your online content. So you can buy software or you might find that your web camera already contains a software to add a watermark, which is a small graphical sort of alteration of the image. 
usually people will put their company logo or a little brand on and that will move around the screen obscuring bits of the image it's so behind me i've got a virtual background here it's kind of like that but in front of me but not blocking the whole screen so it's only blocking little bits of information and what that does is just make it a bit more difficult for a computer algorithm to look at that image and pick out what's me and what's the watermark and it's trying to obfuscate some of the information obviously that will only be a protection for a, a certain length of time because if you put a lot of information out a lot of video information out then eventually there will be enough for a computer algorithm to work out what's you and what's not you and pick out the information but it's just one way of, of adding a little bit of complexity to what you post online just to make it a bit harder for them to collect that information mm. yeah yeah that's been really interesting thank you i was going to say to you give us you know half a dozen top tips but you've kind of given us lots of <laughs> tips as we've gone through um, yeah i mean generally my 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 go-to top tips are always backup backup make sure you have a backup make sure it's robust test it don't just rely on it to be there and then when you come to need it suddenly find it hasn't got half the information you need test it check it regularly and don't keep it on site with the rest of your stuff make sure it's somewhere safe off-site partly for, for security reason but you know if the reason why you need to go to that backup is because there's been a fire and yeah. you've physically lost your stuff having yeah. a backup in a usb mm. isn't going to protect you there so have it somewhere yeah. safe yeah off-site yeah yeah there's things like a password policy you know we're all told all the time about having passwords which expire mm. change regularly it's difficult i know to remember 400 different passwords so yeah. use password lockers things like key pass and one click and things like that will save passwords for you and you don't have to remember the long complex random passwords right that's a good one yeah yeah and you talked about phrasing yeah yeah so passphrases i mean typically if you need to if there's a password that you need to rem remember yourself don't think of a password think of a passphrase so the typical go-to is three random words which are not connected mm. in between them put a symbol so maybe you might have looking around me here so you might have backslash tp link backslash bulb and that's three random words yeah. which are very difficult for you to individually a computer will guess those straight away the fact that you're connecting them together means it's you know quite a lot more difficult for a computer to guess those yeah yeah and there are tools as well it might be worth just mentioning that the there are things like have i been pwned p-w-o-n-e-d there's a website where you can go and on there they have a password checker and you can type in your password and it'll tell you how many times that password has appeared in data breaches. And mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean it's your password that's been breached. Somebody else might be using the same password, but it has appeared in a data breach. And that will just give you an indication of how secure your password is. And what's that? What's that? Have I been? Have I been pwned? P-O-N-E-D. Uh, yeah, P-W-O-N-E-D. If you do a Google search, that's easy way to find it. And on there, also on that website, if you type in your email address, it'll tell you if that email address has appeared in any data breaches as well. And you can actually register with them for free and it'll mm -hmm. alert you if your email address does appear in any data breaches. I'm almost scared to, to think about doing that. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, you know, you're more than likely to appear in a data breach because big companies have been breached. I think people like British Airways, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, you know, people like that who you're more than likely going to have an account with. Just yeah. because you're appearing in there doesn't mean somebody's been able to hack into your system. It just means you're at one point your email address was mm. breached. Um, yeah. It's kind of like a fact of life. But it's good to be aware of, it'll tell you when and where that breach happened. And mm -hmm. it's good to be aware of that. So, you know, if your email was breached last week, then it'd probably be good practice to go and change your email account password just to be safe. Mm. Okay. Well, in Bordering Buddies, we often do a part of the kind of foundations, if you like, of Bordering Buddies Mastermind is that we look at what risks your business has. What, mm -hmm. what there might be and obviously we talk about IT and all that kind of thing but actually that's a really good point to add into that I think so that you can monitor if there's a breach somewhere that means I need to change some passwords yeah it's always a good idea so typically if there's a data breach which includes your password which includes your email address sorry the password hopefully has been saved somewhere else on the on that breach systems network so it's not in oh. the same database and also it's saved in an encrypted format so even if they did get it it would be very difficult for them to read what that password is but it still means they've got your email address so that's sort of like yes. halfway there yeah. so they know that email address yeah. is live they know somebody's using it and it can be used in 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 attacks yeah so it is yeah. a good idea generally to change that password then Robin, that has been absolutely fascinating. I think we could go talking for hours about all of this. <laughs> so thank you for listening. And I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. It hasn't frightened you to death. It's, give, it's given me a lot to think about. So thank you so much, Robin. That's been really useful. I think it will be helpful for, you know, listeners of the podcast to think about what they're doing in their businesses mm -hmm. and how to kind of protect themselves a bit more. So if you've enjoyed the podcast, please like and subscribe so that you know when the next one's out and um, look forward to the next podcast. Thank you for listening. I do hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Boardroom Buddies podcast. Do subscribe for more podcasts and it would be lovely if you shared it on your favourite podcast platform. If you have any questions or you would like to talk any more on the topic, then do connect with me on LinkedIn or email me on jax, that's J-A-X, at jackiecasey.consulting. And thanks for listening.